All right, so it's great to be here. It's been five weeks, as I said, five weeks since I've been here. And one of the greatest things that you can possibly hear as a pastor, if you're gone, and I mean this, is how great everything's going without you. Like, I'm not, but that's an amazing thing because a church should never, ever be built upon one person other than Jesus, that is. But it should run just great whether I'm here or not. And I heard attendance was strong. Preaching was good. I kept up with that. It wasn't, it was, wasn't great. Alan did okay. But, but it was good. So, I mean, it, it was good. I mean, that's, uh, he took plenty of stabs at me. Um, I've heard all of you just continuing to serve and work for the Lord. And from the bottom of my heart, I just, I just thank you because that's what the church is about. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and about it's us coming together to help people find and follow Jesus. So just thank you for doing that. And I've missed being here with you. Um, everybody's asking. My neck's doing much better. It's healing up. Um, as you I had a fusion in my neck. And so it took a couple of weeks to get better. And now I'm able to move around a whole lot better. Um, but I am restricted for several months, which I did not know. I kind of didn't listen to anything doctor said before, got it done, and trying to listen. My wife listens much better, let's just put it that way. But I'm not able to lift more than 10 pounds for, for a couple of months, which creates a problem. Because do you know how easy it is to gain weight when you do nothing but sit on a couch and you love to eat? Because I had nothing to do but watch TV and eat, and I'm not going to lie. It was all right. I enjoyed myself. It was Okay. But I've gained like 20 pounds. You're like, Brian, you don't look like it. That's lies and that's okay. I know where I'm at. <laughs> I, I know where I'm at. I know what I got to do. But how, how do you lose weight when you can't do anything? You can't work out. I, I've never done that. So this is going to be an interesting experience of just being super careful about everything I eat. And luckily for me, I had a friend who's done that not long ago. You see, he gained a bunch of unhealthy weight. He'd be the first to admit it. And then all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, he'd lost just a ton of weight. And I said, man, how, how did you do it? Right? Because when someone's done something that you don't seem to do, you get interested. Right? You're like, well, this, you've done this thing. So, so how did you lose all this weight? And he was super embarrassed to tell me, which is interesting. Because I know a lot of embarrassing things about this guy. And so I just kept bothering and bothering. I said, look, I won't make fun of you. We both knew that was a lie. And I just said, look, so just how did you do? And he finally told me one day. He said, here's what he did. He looked at cookies and sweets as if they were his enemy. He would literally, not joking, have a conversation with a pack of Oreos as if they were trying to kill him. He would get angry at them. For daring to take his life away. They were no longer little harmless treats. They were poison that was trying to make their kids fatherless. His wife a widow and rob him of this health and ultimately his life. I am not joking. This is what he did. So when he was tempted at the store, he would have an out loud conversation with these treats. So if you see me at Walmart yelling at some Oreos... It's okay or it's my kids, one of the two things. But either way, it's okay. Now listen, I definitely made fun of him for doing this and I still do. But, but it's a brilliant idea, right? He, he understood and finally kind of ripped the mask and took the mask away from that these little treats are harmless. I mean, because let's be honest, if you didn't know, Oreos are horrible. They're just fat and sugar. They're poisonous. They're not healthy. There's no health benefit 
whatsoever. And so he kind of stripped away the marketing, the packaging, and I still eat like 12 at a time. It's okay. And, and he just started saying, look, this, these aren't good and started being honest about what things are. And, and interestingly enough, this is exactly what Jesus does. Not with Oreos, I think he would have enjoyed them, but with, with other things, he like rips the glamour, he rips the temptation off, all the excuses and all the things that we naturally think, he kind of like rips that off for two very important topics we're going to talk about. He identifies these two thieves that want to rob you of your joy in Christ. I mean, these thieves are trying to rob you from living a life of faith and trusting in God. And the thief we're going to talk about today, because next week we'll talk about another one. But the thief we're going to talk about today is the thief of money, treasure, those things you believe are so important to you. And when we talk about money in the church, we've got to get one thing very clear. This is very important. If you're nothing else, listen to this. The Jesus we follow seemed to have nothing. Nothing. The Jesus we follow seemed to have nothing. So if we are ever tempted or we ever hear that following Jesus means we're going to be wealthy or following Jesus will guarantee you wealth, you have misunderstood because Jesus never promises anything like that. Jesus, following Jesus does not guarantee you'll be financially wealthy, but it guarantees you'll be spiritually wealthy. And you see, the Bible has an interesting relationship with money. On one hand, we see some stories and throughout scripture that, that money can be like a, a blessing from the Lord. And, and it seems like, well, if, you, if it's a, like a reward for being obedient in some sense, but on the other hand, we see that there's a ton of temptation associated with money and how people can let it control them and do all sorts of evil things to gain more. But more importantly, while money can be a blessing, we have to understand the scriptures never assume and it never teaches that the final determination of your spiritual standing is your finances. People get this wrong all the time. Well, if I have money, that must mean God loves me. No, you could just be a thief. Right? If I, if I get a raise, that means I have God's favor. Or the reverse. Well, I lost my job, so God must be punishing me. I, I don't have what everybody else has, so that must mean God must not like me. Like, what did I do wrong? And we could start looking at the material things and start thinking somehow that reflects our spiritual things. And, and that's not true. That's not what's going on. Your financial position is never, never to prove or to show your spiritual relationship or spiritual standing before God. Jesus gives us our spiritual standing before God. Jesus and only Jesus and Jesus had nothing. So it can't be that. And he was fully dependent upon God. He walked closer with him than any of us can possibly imagine. And he went through tremendous hardships. So money is a thing. It's a tool. But that's all it is, is a tool. Because we've already learned. Remember this in Matthew. F Man, that TV is low. Did I get taller? And I tell you what. I have never felt so tall before in my life. 
This is pretty amazing. All right. I can't bend down, so here's where we are. So Matthew 5, 40. I feel like a giant right now. That's how some of y'all feel. This is pretty cool. All right. Thank you, Scott. So Matthew 545, uh, yeah, 545b. It says, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he says rain on the just and the unjust alike. So what this teaches, we learned this in chapter five, obviously, that good things and bad things happen to both good people and bad people. It's just the way it works. So assuming that our financial situation has anything to do with how much God loves you, I just need you to know that's a mistake and it's not true. Because the Bible's filled with warnings about the dangers of money. Look at this one. It's pretty cool. Proverbs 1, 19. It says, so such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It talks about it at the beginning. You can read it. But here's the important part. It robs them of their life. And this has to be ironic, right? Because we think that, um, we think that robbers want to take our money. So we want to hoard it. We want to protect it. We want to safe keep it. Like we think this stuff keeps us secure. But the Bible says, no, no, that stuff wants to rob you. Like your money wants to take from you. It, it wants to control you. In fact, it's going to suck away this life that you're trying to achieve. You're trying to gain. You think, hey, finance is the way to get that. And Jesus is like, no, actually, it's going to suck it all from you. It's going to hurt you. Money is a powerful tool. It has the capacity to rob your life, but it also has the capacity to change lives. It's an amazing thing. And you can choose what you want to do with it. It cannot save you. It will not fix you. It doesn't make your life easier. It's simply a tool. And so here's where we're going today in case you fall asleep. It says, Jesus calls, Jesus calls for us to live simply and generously. Like that's the big idea. That's what I want you to understand as we work through these verses, continuing Matthew 6, that Jesus' call for you and me is to be simple and generous. How do we do it? Well, verse 19, he says this. Don't store up for yourself treasures here on this earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You see, the funny thing about possessions and money or whatever else we value, it, there are built-in Things that lets us know that it does not last, it cannot save, and it won't work. Like money comes and goes, we, we learn that. It's not everlasting, although we try our hardest to make it everlasting. Jesus is like, hey, look, there's built-in things. I created this earth. There's built-in things to remind you that you can't trust in that, that, that it's not eternal, that, that, that it's fleeting and it's going away. These things are temporary. He points to moths that eat. You see, back then, and even perhaps for us today, clothes can be a sign of wealth. People want to dress up. They want to show off. They want to show how much they have versus what other people has. Dress to impress. And, and you know this. Like back then, they had a moth problem. Like, hey, moth will just ruin those clothes. Or today, your washing machine ruins the clothes or the dry cleaner or grease or whatever else. Like those clothes won't last. They're, they're going to fade. They're going to fall apart. It's just the way it works. And then you have rust. Rust wore down the valuable. Now, we, of course, have technology to kind of work through this, but it's the idea of corroding and eating away. Yeah, I mean, termites, right? What can they do to your house? Corrode and eat it away. And, and perhaps we're like, hey, I don't have a termite problem. I don't have a rust problem. A lot of y'all had a 2008 problem, though, didn't you? 
corrode, eating away. Like the idea of like, hey, Jesus has already warned us. Like, hey, this stuff's not going to last, folks. Like, oh, I can't believe it happened. Jesus is like, well, I told you. The stuff's not eternal. It, it's not guaranteed. It, it's a tool. It's not going to last. So while you have it, do the smart thing with it. And that's what he's going to talk to us about. It's a tool to be used or to be lost because you can't take any of it with you. And your kids are going to blow it all anyways. Or at least, they're, at least your grandkids. Statistically speaking, after the third generation, it's gone. Just throwing that out there for you. But Jesus says, rather than storing up and hoarding for yourself, which will not last. He said, there's a way to have these treasures in heaven that's safeguarded by God. That nothing can take away, nobody can steal, no one can rob you. Like God is safeguarding these things. And, and what we learn, and, and I heard Alan talk about it as well, is that we can gain treasure in heaven. And it's, I don't know how it all works, but it's the idea of like what we do here, we will be rewarded for up there. We are saved by grace and grace alone, but we can earn these rewards. And we're going to be rewarded for what we do with what we have here on this earth. And money is a tool, so we, we can invest in kingdom things, and that payoff and that interest and those dividends that pay out are not going to be here, but it's going to be up there. Or when he comes back here, whatever that looks like, but it'll be this eternal reward. Because you know, and you've heard this before, I imagine that you and me, we can never outgive God. We, we can never give him more than he can ever give us. And so it's this idea of realizing that money is simply a tool to be used for his glory and his purpose. What we do with what we've been given matters. He continued verse 21. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So where you put your treasures, where you put what's valuable, where you put your money, your heart will follow. You can't help it. And we already know that where you spend your treasures, what you believe is valuable because that's why it's called values. Valuable because you're investing, you're putting things towards. And so any financial planner, anybody who works with money, they'll see where your money goes and be like, oh, this is what's important. You'd be like, no, it's not. Be like, well, evidently it is. Because you're taking all your resources and you're putting it towards that. So this is what's valuable. This is what's most important to you. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. Which is pretty interesting because if you want something to be important to you, if you want to really care about something and be vested in it, what do you do? Put your treasures in it. For instance, you own 0% of a stock. How much do you care about that stock? Put your life savings in that stock. Tell me how much you care about that stock. You care a whole bunch because where your treasure is, your heart follows. It's just the way it works. Jesus is like, this is the way you're designed. This is the way it built. So the interesting thing is that if you and I, if we want to be interested and we want our heart to follow after the things of the Lord, what do you got to do? Invest in it. Put your finances in it. He says your heart will follow. That's how you're made. That's how you're designed. He tells us how to do this. And so our heart, where our treasure is, our desires will go with it. And so following Jesus, he says, say goodbye. Say goodbye to storing. Say goodbye to hoarding. Say goodbye to this idea that you can keep all your treasures, you can hoard all this stuff, you can commute, commune. You can accumulate, that is the word, accumulate all of this stuff and somehow it's going to bring satisfaction, it's going to bring happiness and you can save it all. And Jesus is like, look, look, it's not going to work. 
It's not going to help. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to save. We'll talk, about it, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But saving and hoarding and our finances cannot be our primary focus. And for some of you, it really is. You're obsessed with your balance sheet. You're obsessed with your bank account. You're obsessed with your retirement. You're obsessed with how things are doing, and you can't help but always be consumed with it. Jesus is saying, look, that stuff's fleeting. It's not going to last. Like, you're mistaken if that's where your mind is going. In fact, if you haven't read it, read Luke 12. You read a story about a man who accumulates, who's a farmer, who accumulates a ton of grain. So he rips down one barn, builds another barn. He's like, man, I can sit back, relax, and enjoy life. And God says, you fool, your life is required from you. Gone. The question is, well, who's going to get all your stuff when you're dead? Like, what was the point? And Jesus follows up with this, which is gut-wrenching. It just really is. Luke chapter 12 says this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. His money robbed him of his life, literally in that story. And for many of you, you think money is safety and security is, is found in money, and it's not. Fear and what ifs and worrying. Jesus is like, look, it's not going to save you. It's not what you think it is. So if you want to live simply and generously, then you've got to say goodbye to the hoarding and story. We'll get to what that looks like in a little bit. Now he talks about your priorities matter. Here it goes, Matthew 6. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. And this is like, he's like, hey, if, if, if your eyes are on money, if your eyes are on the valuable, you're full of darkness. And if you think that darkness is light, you're actually wickedly evil. I mean, it, this should rock you. Jesus is very, very transparent about money and how he feels about it. But he's using the eye as a metaphor and this, this lamp, your eyes a lamp that illuminates your inner life. And in their culture, there was a strong connection between the eye and, and the illumination of your inner being, your heart, the center of a person's life. One scholar says this. He says, since, since the heart is the true repository of the treasure, Jesus now indicates that where the eyes focused on, when, when the eye is focused on something of value, it becomes the conduit that fills the heart with what it's been focused upon. So what you focus on out here is going to fill what's in here. So some of y'all need to turn your computers off. We'll keep going. Focused on upon, and he says, conduit that fills the heart with what's been focused upon. If the eye is good, it is the conduit that allows the heart to be filled with the light of God's treasure. So where your eyes go, what you're focused on, your heart's going to be full of. Which means the reverse is true. When our eyes are fixed on treasure, the worldly things were full of darkness. We can be full of light or we can be full of darkness. It's where our eyes go, what we're focused on, what we prioritize. And this needs to shock us to the core. Because the, there's a play on words going on here in the Greek that doesn't come out. But the word healthy here is often used for generous. The word unhealthy here is stingy. So in other words, there's a play on words. What Jesus is saying is a life focused on generosity is a life of goodness of God. And a life full of stinginess is a life full of darkness. Never forget, we serve a generous, giving God. For God so loved the world that he, what's the next word? Gave, right? God is a giving 
generous God. And when it comes to God's economy, he wants you and me, all Christians, to be generous people. And our heart needs to be set on generosity. How do you become generous? Start being generous. Right? It's a muscle. you got to work on it and work through it. There's a lot at stake according to Jesus in evil or godly life. He continues. He says, here's why. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And here's what's interesting. So according to Jesus, if you believe Jesus, this is what Jesus says. If you're trying to figure it out, here's the kind of stuff he says. Two things want to control your life, at least two. Money is one of those things that wants to control you and enslave you. You're like, Brian, that's not true. Okay, that's fine. You're not calling me a liar. You're calling Jesus a liar. That's between you and him. But like, this is the powerfulness of money. Like, this is the stuff we have to understand. It's not neutral. It wants to consume. There's this mysterious thing behind it. I mean, you've heard the stories of what people do for a couple of bucks. It's crazy. Jesus like, yeah, it wants to control you. It wants to enslave you. And we have to choose who's going to be our master. And, and this word serve indicates the work of a slave. Remember, first century slaves were very common. So it indicates the work of a slave. And the idea is this, is you can be employed by two people. You can have a second job. You can have a third job. But you cannot be a slave to two people. You're owned by somebody. You can either be owned by money where money's going to use you for its glory. And think about that. Money's not even a real, think how that works. Or it can be used by God for his glory. Both of them are competing. And Jesus summons us. He says, look, this lure for wealth, this lure for treasure, this, this greed inside is a thief. And it wants to rob you. It's not going to provide for you. It's not going to give you safety. It's not going to fix you. It's not going to help all your, solve your problems. Like, it's not going to do that. In fact, it wants to rob you. When it becomes a focal point, it actually turns you to darkness. So Jesus' call for us to live simply and generously, you see, the lies we're told about money is that it gives security, personal wealth, esteem, value, power, independence, and pleasure. Money promises so much, but it can't fulfill any of these things because those are the things God promises to provide. And when something's trying to give you what God has already promised you, that needs to be a warning sign. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. You see, biblically, wealth has three primary purposes. Number one, to give appropriate care for one's own family and prevent them from becoming a burden to others. I didn't make these up. I found them. I thought they were really great. Number two, to help those who are in need, especially the family of faith. Number three, to encourage and support God's work in spreading the gospel of the kingdom both at home and around the world. Like biblically, these are the things that we see we're to invest in. These are the things we should do with it. Taking care of your family, of course. Providing for people who need it, of course. Helping people who need it, of course. Giving to God's work, of course. Like this is how we should use our money. But storing and hoarding isn't what we do. So Jesus says, get rid of that. Prioritize future rewards. Prioritize when he's coming back. Prioritize not just your retirement, but your eternal retirement. Like, think about that when you think about your finances. And we must choose who we allow to direct our finances. And a lot of this is between you and the Lord, isn't it? 
A lot of this is you seeking him and praying to him and asking him what you need to do and how all that works. Like none of this is a bad thing. But this is about you and your relationship with the Lord and what he tells us to do. But he calls you and me to live simply and generously. And all of this is going to look differently to all of us. Simply means living below what we can afford. Rather than choosing extravagance and elegance, which is going to look different to all of us, we choose simplicity. Right? We follow a Jesus who had nothing, nothing, and he did just fine. But we don't have to, and I'm speaking of my generation now, we don't have to accumulate a ton of debt, live paycheck to paycheck, barely survive, make sure our bills are so ridiculously outrageous that we're stressed out and can't even figure out how to buy milk. Like, you don't have to live like that. You don't. You, you can buy a smaller house. Did you know it's okay? You can buy a cheap, like, it's okay. And I know it's hard right now, and I know prices are hard, but this is the call to live simply and generous. Generous is giving, helping those in need, above and beyond. Generous is more than it's expected. And so we give and help people find and follow Jesus through our generosity, through our simplicity, and other means. But this past week, and I want to give you an example, this past week, and I went to that Windshape conference. Maybe some of you saw Jessica posted it on social media. And I have to say it was an amazing, an amazing time. Uh, Jessica and I learned a lot about marriage and about how to communicate better. I mean, I'm already perfect at it. We know that. Um, but anyways, we learned a lot that we, we had to work. It was a great time. And so, so Windshape is like this chick, uh, a ministry arm of Chick-fil-A. And I'd have to admit, I was like, they sell chicken sandwiches what are they going to tell about my marriage? Like, what is this about? This doesn't even make any sense. But I heard good things about it, so we went, and oh my goodness, I was so impressed. It was top-notch, amazing marriage retreat. And, and so it's well known, right, that the companies of Chick-fil-A were Christians or are Christians. But the Windshape is an intentional ministry arm that invests in children and marriages. And, and when we went to this conference, it was full of hospitality. I mean, just think about Chick-fil-A decided to throw on a retreat, go above and beyond. That's what it was. I mean, from this, where we stayed to the food. And no, we didn't actually have Chick-fil-A. It was weird. I thought we were going to at least have one meal. But like, it was just amazing, great experience. It, it cost far more than we paid the experience. Far more than we paid, and you could just see God working in amazing ways in the lives of people and their marriages. And listen, this whole wind-shaped conference and this whole thing, I'm going to take some of you down in September. All of this started is because somebody who was extremely blessed financially took their resources and invested in kingdom purposes. Marriages have nothing to do with chicken sandwiches, but the guy decided it was going to. And took his resources and started blessing thousands upon thousands of people. Because here's the idea, folks. He's longing on the person who started that he died. But because of his generosity, thousands of people, marriages, are being saved or being restored and being blessed. And now perhaps you can't buy hundreds of acres. Perhaps you can't put on a conference and, and fund all this stuff. Maybe you're not there financially. I get it. Most of us aren't. But you can do something. You can help someone. I mean, helping one family, perhaps go to a conference, for instance, could bless generations and generations of people that you'll never know about. But you'd be amazed at what God can do with your generosity. So you can choose. Generosity is a choice. It's a hard attitude. And, and this idea, like for me, I used to think, well, once I become rich and I hit the lottery, I don't play lottery. Once I do, then I'll be generous. 
And Jesus is like, yeah, that's a great idea. It doesn't work that way, though. You're like, no, no, but Jesus, I really would. Like, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give half away, I promise. Like, I will. Come on, let's, let's just make it happen. Let's see. And Jesus is like, here's how it works. Luke 16, 10 says this. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. In other words, it's not about how much money you make, folks. It's not. Statistically speaking, the more someone makes, the more money they have, less of a percentage they actually give away. It's like the more they make, the greedier they become. We're thinking, well, we'd be different. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Jesus says, how about this? How about you just start with the small stuff? Just be generous where you can. Be faithful with where you can. Start there. Which means for some of us, we need to start giving things away. And I have a great idea. I've talked to you all about it before. Here we go again. I think you need to give away all that stuff in your storage shed, your attics, and your garage. Just give it away. All that junk you don't even use, just give it away. And I know you can sell it online. I know you can have a yard sale. And I know that's just so profitable. And you can just do amazing things with it. I get it. I get it. But give them away. Because here's what I believe, and I, and I really believe this. If you can't give away the things you don't use, you aren't going to be able to give away the things you do want. If I can't give away that thing that's just been sitting there nobody's ever used, when Jesus tells me to go and be above and beyond in my finances, and I need that and I want that, I ain't giving that away. I want that. If Jesus calls me to take that job for less pay, and I know he's calling it, but money rules me, I'm not going to take it because there are things that I want and there are things I don't even use. And if I can't start here with the junk I don't even use and just giving it away, I'll never be able to follow Jesus in the the real stuff, the hard stuff, the strong stuff, the regular Christian life stuff. So start giving things away. Start blessing people in need. But hey, you need this? We give, I used to drive my wife crazy with it. She's better with it now. I've stopped trying to give so much away. I just give things away all the time. Just like, here, you need it. You can have it. You can have it. But we've seen it come back, and people are like, hey, I got this. You need this. I'm like, actually, I do. And so we've seen it come back. Y'all ever have kids, and people just start blessing you with clothes? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's the way it works. And you just start being generous. Another practical way. Oh, another practical way about how to work through all this. One is start giving junk away you don't even use. But for me, I wasn't taught about money growing up. Some of you were. It's amazing. I've heard the stories of what your parents taught you and, and, and just generational. I see it. And that's amazing. Not all of us had that. So what I learned and the where I started to kind of working out your finances is the 10-10-80 model. All right. Give 10%, save 10% and live on the rest. And for me, that's where we had to start. It was just a great idea, and we teach it to our kids. So every dollar our kids get since they've ever gotten money has been save 10, give 10%, and they have 80% in their spending jar. We have three jars at the house. And so if you give my kid $25 for birthday, 250 of it's going to the Lord, 250 of it's going to saving, and they can spend 20 bucks. And here's the deal. I don't know about tithing for birthday money. I don't see that command in the Bible. I haven't seen it yet. It might be in there. I'm not too sure. But I'd rather take that $2.50 teach my kid about money than the $50,000 or the $5,000 or $30,000 it's going to cost later for them ignoring how to actually use it. So some of us is teaching our grandkids or our kids about money. We do. We always have. And that first time they got to give, they're like, look, I don't, God doesn't need anything. He's God. What are we doing here? Have that conversation with a five-year-old, not a 25-year-old. It'll work. 
Because there's generations of people around you who were taught about money and they can tell you how God is faithful in all of that. Especially here, we'll talk about that too. But start, start giving, start saving, start getting a system. But remember, generosity guards against greed. Like greed's what controls you. And the way to combat greed, like it's trying to control you, it's trying to master you. You just have to know it's a real thing that's happening. The way to combat that is by giving, by being generous. It's the antidote. You can't be greedy if you're generous. It's not possible. And now I need to speak for our church just for a minute. Those of you who call FBC your home. For many pastors, talking about money is a difficult thing. It is absolutely not difficult to talk about here at all. Because if you didn't know, you were surrounded by some of the most generous people in our country. Our giving per capita in this church, which means giving per person who attends, far is above far more than the average church, even large growing churches. We are far above that. So we have a generous church. You all are generous people. It's why we don't have to talk about money all the time. That's why we don't have to even pass an offering plate. There's nothing wrong with passing an offering plate. Churches have to do that. We have boxes and we still meet our budget. Like you are a generous church. You are a giving church. You are surrounded by people who already know and understand the blessings that come from giving and what God does with that. It's an amazing thing. And I want to celebrate that with you because church financially, we are strong. See, five years ago, we were struggling. Our church was struggling to, to make budget and pay staff. Five years ago, Level Weekday Ministry, the, the, the ministry that runs here, wasn't able to, to self-sustain and had to borrow money from the church that the church didn't have. Now, last year, not only did we take in more money for both Level and the church than we budgeted for, we spent significantly less than we budgeted for. Like, it's an amazing thing. Check this out, church. Our, we have $1.4 million in the bank right now. And for this church, that is a big deal for this church to have that kind of money in the bank because it hadn't always been like that. It's because of your generosity. I sure didn't write that check. I promise you that. It's because of your generosity. It's because of your, with God's faithfulness. There's churches all around the country who are struggling, who are hurting. And our church continues to grow and to get the giving continues to grow, which means we're able to do a lot more things. Like because of your generosity, we added $200,000 to the budget this year, which is why you're going to see more ministries and more fun activities to try to reach more people with the name of Jesus Christ because that's what we're doing. That's the whole purpose, all of it. But I want you to know that we have been waiting, we have been saving and developing this vision for our church. And it's something to celebrate that, that we have that much money in the bank. And I want to assure you that as a staff and the leadership here, we scrutinize every dollar. We are very, very cautious about how we're using the money you're giving to the Lord's mission. We do not waste your money, but here's the deal. We're also not going to hoard your money. I promise you that. That money that's been saved is going to be used for what's coming up and the things we're going to be doing as a church. As you know, we have a company helping us redesign our worship spaces, our children, our youth spaces. And we are going to invest in our mission of helping find, uh, people find and follow Jesus. Remember our vision for the church. The first line says this. It says, our vision as a church is to create a welcoming, authentic community of faith where individuals are equipped to pursue Jesus and this purpose for their life. In other words, we want to create an environment for people to know, find Jesus and follow Jesus. And we want to help them do that by what we create here. Because one of the first points we have is this. We will create 
Next slide. We were creating environments and worship experiences that are relevant, dynamic, and appealing to the families of our community. And so we're going to take that money and we're going to take a whole bunch more that I'm going to ask you for later on. Just letting you know it's coming. Just giving you a heads up. Okay, it's coming. To, to reinvest in our facilities, to make these appealing and to try to reach more people for Jesus. But I want to let you know when we're talking about money, this isn't a beating up sermon. You guys already knew this stuff. And it's so amazing when we get to that money passage in Scripture, I get to teach principles, and I'm like, they already do that, they already do that, they already do that. What a blessing as a pastor. You don't do a lot of the other stuff, but you do that part, so this is good. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But it's a thing to celebrate because God has blessed this church. And you all are generous people, and I promise you, we're not going to sit on that giving. I celebrate with you that we got a bunch of money ready to when we carry out this vision, we got a whole lot of money we're going to put down on it. But here's what I can promise you as a pastor, and we're done. I'd rather go broke for Jesus than have a bunch of money in the bank and miss out on what he's doing in this world. So we're not sitting on it. We're going to invest it. I'm going to ask you to invest a whole bunch more. But you are surrounded by some of the most generous people. You already get this stuff. If you don't, tap your neighbor, they do, and they can talk to you about it. But will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for being a generous, giving God. Lord, you continually bless this church. You've continued to bless uh, the people in this church, and they've learned firsthand of what it looks like to follow you in their finances. We, Lord, we know that having finances doesn't mean you love us more or less, but you've given us opportunities to invest in the things that you have for us. But Lord, we're also reminded of the widow who just gave two little pennies and you said she gave far more than all the rich people. So we learn, Father, that it's a heart thing. No matter what our gift to you, no matter what our gift to others, no matter what it looks like for us to live simply and generously, that you honor that. That we can follow you, whether we have a little or we have a lot, it doesn't matter as long as we're faithful. We thank you for being the giving God we thank you for being the generous God. And Lord, we just pray and ask that you help each, every, every one of our lives reflect your generosity. Lord, help us reach more people for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.